right, everybody say hope. You know, the CDC.gov says survey data has found that men experience a high prevalence of intimate partner violence, sexual violence, and stalking. Most times, most first-time victimizations occur before the age of 25, with many victims experience violence before the age of 18. About one in three men experience contact sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner during their lifetime. Nearly 56% of men who are victims of contact sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner first experience these or other forms of violence by that partner before of age 25. The leading cause of injury to women in the world today is domestic violence in the home from someone that she already knows in the family. It is actually greater than the combined accidents, muggings, and rapes. Every nine seconds in the United States of America, a woman is assaulted or beaten. Around the world, one in every three women has been beaten, coerced into sex, or abused in her lifetime. One in five teenage girls have been in a relationship with a boyfriend threatened violence or self-harm if they broke up. USA has more, three times more shelters for animals than they do victims of domestic violence. You know, it's interesting because the book of Timothy talks about that one of the things that we'll be able to identify that the end times are upon us is that abuse will increase. And we start thinking about abuse, there's all kinds. There's sexual abuse, there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse. And then one of the things that I begin to, to really see over the last couple weeks is self-abuse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, You should know this, Timothy. That in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they may reject the power of God that could make them godly. And then he, Paul tells Timothy to stay away from people like that. You know, it's interesting because physical abuse and sexual abuse, they're pretty easy to identify. But what's a lot harder to pin down is a spiritual abuse or a, a self-abuse or an emotional abuse. And, you know, I was, we were talking about this message and, and during the last freedom retreat that a lot of people had, had dealt with abuse in their lives and that was causing a lot of issues in their life because they had never healed properly from whatever abuse that they went through in their life. And so I thought, that'll be a great series. We'll, we'll look at it maybe in May, June, July, some type of frame, or we'll, we'll do a special class on abuse. But then about two or three weeks ago, the day before New Year's Eve, all of a sudden, some of you may or may not have heard the story that a young woman ended up on my doorstep. She was laying in the fetal position at my door. The guy that she was with threw her out in my driveway and said, let Pastor Vic save you. And threw her there and she, she was there and so we went through that process, but it's not Pastor Vic saving her, it's, it's Jesus. The only thing that Pastor Vic can do is, is give her hope from what it is. And, and so I want to talk about emotional abuse, I want to talk about abuse in general, because people make a lot of excuses for emotional abuse, because on that we can get away with it a whole lot easier than the other. And when you study the Bible, the Bible is literally filled with examples of abuse. Genesis 16, Sarah, 
Her husband Abraham, known as the father of faith, was abusive to Hagar, her servant girl, who, who she told her to sleep with her husband, so she did. She got pregnant and, and birthed Ishmael. And, and the Bible says that Sarah was so abusive to Hagar that she ran away. She left home. She got out of the house. 1 Samuel 25, verse 17, Abigail's husband named Nabal. Abigail says he was a bully. He won't listen anymore. And you begin to study the story, and, and she was saying this stuff about her husband, who was an alcoholic, who was a drunk. In Job chapter 19, Job talks about his tormentors, his friends, those that, that was in his, his close friendship group and how they were abusing him. He said, why do you keep tormenting me with such words? Verbal abuse. Time after time you insulted me and you showed no shame for the way that you abused me. And the reason is we've got to begin to address abuse, especially in the current light of America and, and quarantining and isolation and all those things, because we need to begin to deal with it because the damage of abuse, if it's not dealt with, if you're not set free of it, if you're not healed properly, then the damage of abuse will not only affect you for your lifetime, but it could begin to affect your children and your children's children unless you learn to deal with it, get free from it, and get healed from it. Everybody say hope. So today I want to share a message of hope that no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've experienced in the past or are currently experiencing it, that you can break free from it or you can recover from it. And if you've never experienced abuse in your life, then maybe this is an equipping message that, that God's equipping you to help others escape. Not say, well, call the church, not say, call the counselor, but, but God, if you have a real, genuine, authentic, life-giving friendship with somebody, then you'll be able to pour into their lives. Because if you don't deal with it, you'll carry that abuse and the pain of that abuse for your entire life. And let me tell you, we don't want that for you because God's got so much better for you. And I think deep down in yourself that you don't want it for your own life. If you're 18 to 30 years old, just raise your hand just out of curiosity. It's interesting, they did a study on abuse by the U.S. government and it said people in their 20s, that they discovered that people in the age range of 18 to 30 years old, that 80% of them had been abused as children, and they were still carrying that pain and had one or more emotional dysfunctions, all because, and the study said, all because of unresolved pain of abuse in their lives. It wasn't that they didn't experience pain. It wasn't that they experienced abuse, but, but it was unresolved abuse or pain in their lives that, that caused them not to go forward, that, that, that caused an emotional dysfunction in their life. And you know, an emotional dysfunction can begin to affect your relationships. It can begin to affect your career. It can begin to affect your health. Job in 30 verse 27 said, the churning in me inside me never stops. And if you've been abused, you know what he's talking about. The churning inside me never stops. Each day confronts me with more suffering. So given the statistics that we've looked at, no doubt that some of you have already been abused or you're being abused in your life or at some point in your life. Or others of you know somebody that you care about closely and deeply that's been abused and you need to know the steps of breaking free from abuse 
You need to know the steps of recovering from the pain of abuse in your life so it doesn't affect you and it doesn't affect your children and it doesn't affect your quality and you can begin to step into that abundant life that Christ has for you. And there's no single passage in the Bible that says here is what you do, but there's dozens of verses that deal with the principles of what we must do if we've been abused by someone else or maybe that, that we don't even realize that we're an emotional abuser or a lot of us don't even realize that we're self-abusing ourselves in our lives. And you've got to begin to break free from that, uh, that, uh, that abuse in your life, that emotional abuse, that verbal abuse, that sexual abuse, that physical abuse. You know, if you're always putting yourself down all the time, you're saying, well, you're fat, you're ugly, you're not smart, you're not good looking, nobody likes you. You know, that is a form of self-verbal abuse that's not healthy for you. Everybody say hope. So the first thing to have hope to get free from abuse in your life is don't keep it a secret. Nothing will help you break free and heal till you do this in your life. It's common when somebody is asked about their abuse, you know what? They'll say, well, pastor, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to tell you about it. Uh, and, and, and you've got to pull it out of, of why they're dealing with what they're dealing through in their life. And, and, and the key, the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, that you've got to find somebody that is trustworthy. You've got to find somebody that's loyal. You've got to find somebody that's more mature for you. And, and you see that it is, and not just on the surface of what they look like, but, but really say, hey, this is what I'm battling through and going through in my life. Because you don't want to hide it. You don't want to conceal it. You don't want to pretend it's not there. Fake it, ignore it, or close your eyes to it. But what some of you need to do is begin to talk about it. It was sad because as we began to bring Haley on as the staff counselor, we began to go out to even megachurches, and it was surprisingly how many megachurches don't have a counselor. But yet there's so much emotional hurt and baggage in people's life. See, you're only as sick as your secrets. See, our secrets is what makes us sick. And the way to begin to deal with what we're dealing with, that illness in our life, is to let it out. Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. That's why it's so hard. You read statistics, and men don't like to share their feelings. They don't want to talk about what they're going through because of their pride, their ego, whatever it is. And whatever that emotion that you have on the inside of you, whether it's anger or fear or depression or jealousy or envy or loneliness or resentment, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you can't let it go, then it's dominating your life. And the revealing of your feelings is the beginning of healing in your life. The revealing of your feelings is the beginning of healing in your life. That's what the Bible says. Confess your faults to one another. You don't just just share them with everybody you just don't regurgitate to everybody but you find those people that are authentic and real and genuine and you can begin to pour your life and and they'll come alongside you because if you can't talk about that turmoil that's on the inside of you then guess what it's already out of control in your life and if you're afraid to talk about it then it's already dominating and controlling your life and the starting point is don't keep it a secret You've got to share it with someone, someone who can help you break free. That's why we have the Freedom Retreat small groups. John 8, 32 says the truth will set you free. It's not the truth that you know, but it's the truth that you apply to your life. Everybody say hope. And so the first aspect of having hope to get victory and healing from abuse is you've got to open up and admit it. Abuse is really oftentimes what I would call the silent epidemic. It's the big pink elephant 
in marriage and relationships and businesses and teams and different things that nobody wants to talk about. And it may be the family that you grew up in. It may be the family that you're in right now that, that we don't talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. And the result is too many people suffer in silence. Too many people suffer in silence. They did a 10-nation study and discovered, depending on what country you were from, between 55 and 95% of women who have been abused by their partners have never told anybody. The survey also said they discovered that men are less likely to talk about it and get help than women. And the crazy thing about abuse, because the young lady that showed up at my door six months earlier, the guy that she is with had picked her up and body slammed her and broke her back. And you think, why did she go back? Because abuse has an amazing way of creating shame with inside us. And then it's not the abuse that somebody's afflicting on us, it's the abuse that we're afflicting on ourselves. So we create this shame. Abuse has this way of creating shame on the inside of us that we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. And if you don't get anything else, and make sure that you, you get this, if you were abused as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, get this, it's not your fault. Everybody say, it's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. But Vic, you don't understand. It's not your fault. Yeah, but it's not your fault. You are not responsible for the wrong and sinful actions of somebody else to your life. You are not responsible for the wrongful and sinful actions that somebody else did to your life. Now, self-abuse, thats you, if you keep rehearsing it, then you're going to nurse it, and it's going to end up destroying your life. And, and so that would be, but, but anything else that anybody else perpetrated on you, it's not your fault. Everybody say, it's not my fault. And especially if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, the abuser has to accept responsibility for their actions in life. But it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Set with tons of people who will tell me why it's their fault. And they, they come in and beaten and broken and battered and busted. And it's not their fault. And as we begin to unpack the book of Psalms, we look at David, and a lot of his life was, was dealt dealing with people. And he was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. But a lot of his life was dealing with abuse from people that was in his inner circle to those that were his enemies who wanted to hurt him and kill him and defame him and ridicule him and discredit him. All different kinds of abuse. There's over a hundred passages in the book of Psalms alone. Where David wanted to, and David began to express his hurt and his frustration and his fear and his depression and anger at his enemies. 92 times the word enemies is used by David to discuss the abusers and, and the abuse that they heaped on his life. And one of the main things that we learn from David in the book of Psalms right off the bat is don't hold on to it. 
You've got to let it go. You've got to talk about it. You can't keep it a secret. Psalm 39, verse 1 through 4. I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. That's self-abuse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting fire, words of fire. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And that's what I want you to understand. I've done three funerals this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, and if anything I've learned is how fleeting life is and that God has this incredible promise for your life. But until you get healed from abuse and free from abuse, you're never going to live in that fulfillment. And then all of a sudden you're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to realize, man, Man, why didn't I? Why didn't I? David said the first thing he was there, afraid to talk about it in front of his abusers. Verse 11. I don't want to say anything while the evil people are near. As they might hurt me more. We provide a safe place. A safe opportunity. I'm not saying come to an altar today. Especially if the abuser is with you. But don't be silent. Secondly, he said his silence makes it worse. I kept quiet, not saying a word, but my suffering only grew worse. Those of you who have been abused and you keep it a secret, you know what it's done in your life. And then it says he internalized his pain into panic. I was overcome with anxiety. 26 and a half years as being a pastor in this community. I've sat down with hundreds of people. Vic, I'm having panic attacks. I'm overcome with worry. I'm anxious all the time. I'm fearful. I'm afraid. Why do you think that happened? I don't know, you know. I got this or that. And we discover that the problem is not fear. It's not anxiety. It's not panic. It's pain from abuse that's been pushed down and never allowed to heal properly. That's why David said, I was overcome with anxiety. But when you begin to deal with the root issue, suddenly the anxiety will begin to fade away in your life and freedom will begin to come and fulfillment will begin to come. He, he said you'll begin to be obsessed with death. I was overcome with anxiety. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I started asking, how long will I live? When will I die? How soon will my life end? Obsessed with death. And many people who have been abused begin to think about this stuff. And, and they begin to think about contemplating and considering suicide. And, and all of a sudden, as they contemplate and consider suicide, then they get bolder and bolder. And, and after they fail, they find a more creative way to make sure that they succeed in their life. Because, because the pain is so much on the inside them that they don't want to deal with it anymore. More. They can't manage it in their life. They become obsessed with their pain. They're like, I'm abused. I can't get out of it. I have no power. I have no strength. And so the only way out that they see, which is wrong, everybody say hope, because they haven't experienced the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, is they think, man, I'll just take my life. And so many people that come to that point are self-abusing themselves because we've never got real and authentic and genuine with people and say, how are you? Well, you know, I'm just anxious. Why are you anxious? And, and delve down and mine down into that thing. Everybody say hope. And I want you to know we love you at this church. And if you're feeling that way, God loves you. And I know he's a, he seems like he's far away. And that's why he sent the church so that we could love you. And you know what? Trish and I love you. We love you. We love you. And you don't have to stay in that 
cycle of pain and anxiety and fear. But there's other ways to deal with the issue, but you can't stay silent. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is we have to name the abuse. You've got to call what it is. It's sin. You've been sinned against. You've been abused. When people are abused, they usually don't spot it, especially emotional abuse and self-abuse because you've lived in it so long that you've just accepted it as normal and it's not normal. You may have had parents or partners or peers or someone who abused you emotionally over and over and over and again and you're not getting it, you're not seeing it. You need somebody objective to spot it. There are a hundred different references to various types of emotional abuse or marks of emotional abuse in the book of Psalms alone. And I just want to talk about a few of them. And then we're going to baptize kids, and it's awesome. Trisha and I went to, to a restaurant. I don't even know the last time we'd ever been to that restaurant. And our waitress comes up to me, and she looks at me, and she goes, she goes, I know you. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know me. You just want a good tip. And she's like, no. She goes, I've waited on you before. And I said, no, you haven't waited on me before. She goes, I've waited on you. I said, no, because this is like my first time in Bob Evans, like almost ever. So I know you didn't wait on me. And then all of a sudden she goes, well, who are you? She goes, I'm a, I said, I'm a pastor in Moberly. She goes, you baptized me when I was 11. 21 years ago. She said, you baptized me when I was 11 years old. And then she started telling everybody in the restaurant that I had baptized her when she was 11 years old. What I'm saying is, everybody say hope. Psalm 102, verse 8, my enemies taunt me day after day. They mock me and curse me. When people are always picking on you and provoking you and won't leave you in peace, that's aggravation. And that is a form of emotional abuse. The second one is intimidation. Psalm 109, verse 20, they tell lies about me. They threaten me. When you have people in your life who are always making threats, I'm going to leave you if you don't do this. I'm going to walk out if you don't do that. If you, da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is, they're always threatening violence, leaving a lawsuit. Whether it's at work or school or your neighborhood or on your team, when people are always threatening you, that's emotional abuse on a constant basis. It's intimidation that they're trying to scare you or control you into compliance. And people get masked by this sin of others and they can't see it. And the third mark of emotional abuse is people are always putting you down. Psalm 22, 7, David said of his enemies, they make fun of me and ridicule me. The fourth one, Psalm 69, 19, I've been insulted and put to shame and humiliated. They demean you, dishonor you, disgrace you. It's one of the favorite tools of abusers. They take the guilt of their life and try to put it on your life to make your life be the fault. Then they move to manipulation. Psalm 73, 8, they jeer, they use words to kill, they bully their way with words. Domination. Psalm 118, verse 13, they push hard to make me fall. Who's pulling the strings? Who's in charge? I'm number one. Everything is a power play. Everybody is about control. You see it in marriages. You see it at work. It's all about a power play to make you fall so they think they can launch their life off your life. 
defamation. Psalm 33, 31, 13. David said they spread rumors about me, conspire against me. People love to gossip you. They love to embarrass you. It's real. It's happening in Randolph County in north central Missouri. It's time for the church to rise up. And then finally, this condemnation. Psalm 35, verse 16, they mock me with the worst kind of profanity. They snarl at me. So as people you get around, they use vulgarity and profanity and curse for the shock value. They like to use crude slang about a part of your body or your gender or your background. It's all condemnation. And let me tell you, if you're in an environment where those eight words are constantly happening, then it's quite possibly you're being emotionally abused, and that's not good-natured stuff. And you begin to need to name it and admit it and call it for what it is. It's not playfulness. It's meant to harm you. And eventually, John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and more abundantly but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Because he wants to destroy your life because he knows that God has an incredible destiny for your life. I want to close with Isaiah chapter 61. Like I said, I've done three funerals this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so I really pondered this a lot about death, but it really, it really came alive to me yesterday when I began to write this altar call. And it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, Psalm 61. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It is day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. There it is right there. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they'll be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild. If you've been affected by abuse in your life, then you're looking at your life that all there is is a bunch of ashes. But if you'll make a great exchange today, you say, God, I'll give you my, my ashes. Ashes is the remnant of something that's been destroyed and burned. You don't think you can recover. But there's healing, and there's victory, and there's freedom. And catch this. To all who are mourning in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. They will rebuild. They will revive. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on treasures. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. But you can't stay silent. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. And this is why I'm saying God's for you. Everybody say hope. For I, the Lord, love justice. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to baptize a few kids, so you all come on up. But every head bowed, every eye closed. While they're doing that, I want you to listen to me. God wants to give you beauty for ashes. But unless you give him your ashes, you don't get the beauty. In a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And you're ready to exchange. 
Because there's no reason for you to hang on to those ashes of abuse of yesterday. But make the great exchange. Say, Lord, here's my wounds for your healing. Here's my ashes for your beauty. Here's my mourning. And that scar that's on your life from abuse can be written, rewritten with Jesus' signature. But you can't stay silent any longer. I know you'll always remember the horrible situation. I know that. But it doesn't have to hurt anymore. And you can say today, 31 January 2021, I gave God my ashes. I gave them. And he gave me a brand new start. a new significance and signature on my heart of love and mercy and grace and acceptance has been written on my heart and my life. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Maybe you need to give those ashes. You're on your way to heaven, but you haven't been living in that fulfillment of those promises in Isaiah 61 that we read but you can start. I'm not going to say they're all going to come immediately, but you can start. But you got to admit it. When you raise your hands, you just like say, Lord, I'm giving you those ashes and I'm receiving your beauty. Just go ahead and raise your hand right now. Father God, I just thank you for each life. Some of them are asking you into their heart. Some of them are reconnecting. Others of them are given that self-condemnation and guilt and shame and blame. And Father, each one of them are so precious that you capture every tear in a bottle. But Father, you have so much for them. And from this day forward, we declare that they're going to live in that fulfillment. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, so be it.